We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always my co-host Nick Filato. And boy, I got a sigh, a sigh of relief right now, Nick. And it looks like you almost looks like you came out of a USC fight, which I guess we can talk about as well. You got a big cut on your nose. I don't know what that's from. Maybe you got into a fight with a Cardinals fan no at halftime um, or something like that. Somebody said you weren't looking at that. You weren't Italian enough. Fake Italiano. But look, man, I am, I don't know where I was going with that. But look, dude, I'm breathing a sigh of relief. Like, was this a perfect game for the Giants? Hell no. Obviously, we wanted them to blow out the Cardinals. But as I said on Twitter after the game, Nick, the team the Giants are now is not what we want them to be. The expectations and hope that we had for this Giants football team, they're not there right now. If they had to play right now in the playoffs, Nick, I would have zero faith or hope that they would make any kind of playoff run. But it's week two of the regular season. And what matters really in reality in the playoffs every single year, year after year, is how your team looks in week 17 or, you know, January, late January, February. That's when it matters. Whatever the team looks like then is what's going to matter. But to only even have that opportunity, Nick, to get there, you need to win these kinds of games. Because if you lose and go 0-2 against the Cardinals with San Fran on a short week, it's over. The season's literally over. You can call it like you want, but unless you upset the, Car- the 49ers, season's over now. They have a little bit of breathing room, I think. A little more breathing room. They avoid the 0-3. So just an incredibly exciting way to save this season is how I'd like to call it, Nick. Um, what are your thoughts? Tell me about the fight you got into with the Cardinals fans. <laughs> um, and and uh, let me know what the perspective was like just being at the game. And I'm going to tweet out the link while you do that. So Perspective from being at the game. First off, I didn't get into a fight at the game i just scratched my nose trying to crack it i always crack my nose because i just have the ability to do so and sometimes i slip and scratch it like a dumbass so that's what happened there but dude it was a ton of giant fans that were at that game behind the giant sidelines was just all blue and i think what you percentage heard would you say? i would say maybe about 40 maybe Ooh, something like 40, around that 40 60. which is i like that which is insane to think about. And in, Giant fans were louder than the Cardinal fans. And you can see it in the second half. I mean, how many false start penalties? I think they took two false start penalties, the Cardinals, at the end of the game when they were attempting to drive down the field and kick a game-winning field goal. Giants fans were getting hyped. They were getting loud. And I also just want to say, Daniel Jones in the first half, look, the protection was, I would say, I guess, a little bit better. You would you would imagine that it was in week one, but it was still not perfect. But Daniel Jones struggled. 
in the first half. He was missing some throws, was not great. Came out in the second half, put the team on his back, and had darts. The throw outside the numbers to Jalen Hyatt was beautiful. Thrown on a line, off of play action. The one to Darius Slayton to the inside shoulder when it was, uh, I think it was Marco Wilson, was in tight man-to-man coverage. Very good coverage from Marco Wilson on Darius Slayton. He was right in his hip pocket. Great route, great rep by Darius Slayton and a beautiful ball from Daniel Jones to allow Darius Slayton to be the only one to catch that football. So Daniel Jones, man, when 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 all the chips were pushed forward, Dan, gambling reference, I think, he really rose yeah. to the occasion and put the team on his back. Yeah, you're right. This was, so we can start there. There's a lot to talk about in this game, but this was, in my opinion, the best half of football Daniel Jones ever played in his career with the Giants. Half. Now, if the question is, is it the best game he's ever played, I think this would also be in consideration. When you consider he's playing with what without his all pro left tackle, Andrew Thomas, yeah. who missed this game, a basically what I would like to describe it as, in my opinion, Nick, almost a Hail Mary decision by the Giants to start Marcus McKethan. Like, was there upside? Obviously, that's why they made the decision. Was there an incredible amount of downside to this and risk? Yes. Like the Giants did not go into this thinking Marcus, Marcus McKethan was going to be some like guarantee. Like they were taking a risk. Like this dude came off and he had tore his ACL in his rookie season last year. Didn't play much at all in preseason or training camp. Didn't work with the team. Where are you even getting the reps to feel confidence from there? Right? Like I was stunned by that. I was like pleasantly surprised and it was aggressive. It was a really aggressive move by Dabo and Bobby Johnson to put McKethan into the starting lineup and bench Glinsky. But it was surprising to me. Like you mentioned it on last week's podcast, something you might see, but it felt more like, uh, like one of those like 10 out, like a rarer thing to see. Like, I didn't know for sure if they'd be comfortable playing McKethan given his trajectory from the torn ACL to missing most of the training camp. And not really having, I don't know when they found reps for him. They kind of took a risk there. And we'll talk about that maybe more in the in the film because we'll get more. But I feel like you've had a pretty solid game for a random start at right guard that no one was expecting. Then mid-game, Daniel Jones lose Ben Bredesen, his starting left guard to an injury. And Mark Lewinsky, who was benched, is forced to come back in at a new position. So now you've got Evan Neal, who's coming off the worst game of his professional career in week one. A right guard who tore his ACL, missed all of his rookie season, came back late into year two. A center who's a rookie. Uh, a left guard who's a benched right guard who played there. And then Josh Azudu, who we'll talk about as well more on the film pod, who's now being asked to, well, we've trained him a little bit tackle. Let's move him out to tackle. This was the five-man O-line. Jones put up those numbers in the second half, which we're going to get to as well in a second. With a five-man O-line we just went over, and with the situation being just like it was in week one, no threat in the run. The Cardinals pass defense had no interest in stopping the run because they didn't need to. And they could pin their ears back and rush the passer. And it didn't matter. Like you said, Jones threw some great balls. There was great uh, anticipation on some of the throws. Better drive, I think. There was a big play to Hyatt to open up the half. So all okay. factors considered, I would say this is Jones's best game. I have some fun stats on this, Nick, but I want to let you get it uh, to that first. Yeah, real quick. We've seen Jones do this before. And it really gives me just um, like this great feeling about parts of his future. And we've talked about this. We've seen lightning from this kid when the giants go down and he's able to put the team on his back. I mean, early last season, the giants had how many come from behind victories against Tennessee against green Bay. When Saquon left the field, Baltimore was a little bit more defensive led, but still Daniel Jones had to do his thing. I love to see him when uh, one of the best times to see Daniel Jones is when he's down and it's, it's you need to make a play and it's his back against the wall. That's when I feel like Daniel Jones rises the most. And that's something that I remember us talking about like two years ago 
before we really knew who Daniel Jones was when he was with Jason Garrett, we were like, we want him to have those, those Eli Manning moments, right? Like early in Eli's career against the Denver Broncos, I believe is what you uh, kept alluding to when he threw the touchdown pass yeah. to Amaya Turner. I don't know if this game is exactly that, but it's still him having his back pushed against the wall and being like, you need to win this football game or the season is over. And he found a way to do it despite the fact that the Giants were down 21 nothing. So for that, man, I just got to tip my cap to him. Yeah, honestly, Nick, to keep it on this, and I'll, we'll get to some more of these stats in, in a bit. There's some interesting stats on the game. Um, and thank you for those joining us on the show. I haven't checked out the numbers just yet. I just tweeted out the link. So hopefully, uh, Nick, if you, you you take some time, if you can now, to tweet out the link as well, we can get, we can get that going. But yeah. what I was going to say about this, Nick, was it feels even a little bit different to me than the Eli comeback against the Broncos because this one was more fueled through the air. Like the Eli comeback versus the Broncos, he had a really great final drive against Denver there, and there were some really great individual plays, some that may even be considered in my mind, like the third and long rollout against the Broncos where Eli was almost sacked, did like a Russell Wilson yeah. spin move to his left, was rolling opposite shoulder and rips it to the hat, like to the stick. Like that's a throw that like while moving, that was the best throw by probably between these two games, I would say. But he didn't have to do as much. Jones had to do a lot in the second half. He had to essentially be flawless and not like they have like the way that NFL works, honestly, these days with the time ticking through first downs, when you get out of bounds, like you don't have that much time. You basically had to be flawless from a possession standpoint. The Giants, if they had effed up one possession, they're pretty much screwed in this game. And they even gave up um, a score to the Cardinals in the second half when the Cardinals went it from 20 to 28 when they scored and went for the two point conversion. That was the fifth consecutive possession the Cardinals had scored on at the time, Nick. So it was like, it was almost the point where it was like, all right, well, the offense is going to carry them back into this, but will they run out of time? Will they run out of possessions? There's such a little small margin of error. And in this game, Nick, according to uh, a great stat from Boomer Sison, actually, my colleague Boomer Sison, who I met a couple weeks ago, very nice guy. Daniel Jones became the first player in Giants history with 250 passing yards. 50 rushing touchdowns, two passing TD, and a rushing TD in a game. And he did this all in the second half of a game. The only other player to do this in a half of a game since 2000 was Michael Vick at Washington in 2010. And this was also 17 years today uh, was the biggest Giants comeback game. And that was the one in Philly. That was the one I was this kind of reminded me a little bit of, Nick, because that game against the Eagles in 2006, the Giants came back and won in overtime with the Plaxico burst, Eli to Plaxico touchdown. Similar led by the quarterback type of comeback. Like that's what really stands out the most to me. Yes. The defense tightened up in the second half. We'll talk about that more too, but this win was led by the quarterback by Daniel Jones. And that's why it really stands out to me. I'm right there with you. And we thought that the giants would go with a more run heavy approach. You didn't really see that early on. It was, Hey, we're going to throw the football and the giants struggled significantly. I mean, damn, I don't even know if you want to get into the defense yet, but the freaking defense was horrible. And I tweeted something because I was watching early on and I didn't where I was sitting. I didn't get the best look at the entire field, but the first couple drives, I saw Michael McFadden feel counter pretty well. And then I was like, man, Michael McFadden looks good. And then I got to the third quarter and a lot of those plays in the third quarter, Michael McFadden was terrible on. And I was like, ah, oh, crap. I can't believe I tweeted that. I feel like such an asshole, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, um, there are some problems with the rush defense and we're about to go and play San Francisco. The giants are on Thursday and I'm, 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 Damn worried about that, but I'm jumping around a little bit here. We'll get to that for sure as well. And and look, I'm glad you brought that around, Nick, because for, at first I was going to be like, oh, we have a different take on this. Because I thought from my first view of the game, Mike McFadden had a really bad game. And I'll be honest with you, Okereke, I didn't think was that much better. Really? There's some real, there's some serious issues it. right now with the linebackers. We thought this was going to be fixed. And quite frankly, it's it's not right now fixed. Maybe it can get there. 
But I believe, unfortunately, McFadden could be a very limited player at the NFL. Like We can't just like, here's the thing we can't become. We can't become the fan base or the team, and we're not ever going to do this, Nick. But just a note for everyone here, like fourth, fifth, sixth round picks, they don't always hit, guys. We can't be expecting 100% hit rates on these. Like Some of these players are not going to be contributors, and they're going to be bad players when on the field. And it was a bad game, I thought, for McFadden. We'll see if the film tells that story as well. Okereke is the more troubling one, though, to me, because I thought he yeah. was an even bigger culprit, just given what they're expecting out of him. Simmons, though, only had like, let's, I'll get to the, actually have the snap counts on you. I'll get to that in a bit. But Simmons, I thought, had some really good snaps today, um, including one in run defense. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. But Simmons, to me, could potentially be the guy who earns that bigger role. And we'll talk more about the, about the defense as well. But um, just want to give a few more stats that I thought were interesting about this game, Nick, and we can dive into some of these. The Giants became the third team in NFL history to get shut out by 40 plus in a game and then also record a 20 back, 20 point comeback in a game. During the same season, uh, the other years were the 1987 Bears, the 1949 Bulldogs. By the way, Nick, I have no idea who the 1949 Bulldogs were. Uh, shout out to anyone in the in the in the listeners tonight who can tell me who the Bulldogs were in 1949. But I don't know my NFL history. Well Bulldogs. Like it, it, it sounds right, but I don't know if you're saying that just because you associate Chicago with the Bulls, and then it just sounds like that would be yeah. right. But if you think <laughs> you think that's right, or you're just associating it, I don't know. I, I the Giants only Chicago Bulldogs. Bulldogs. Dude, okay. I went down a huge rabbit hole when I was when I was younger looking up old NFL teams, and I became so fascinated by the fact that there was an NFL team at one point named the Dayton Triangles. Like, really? Like, the Dayton, Ohio, they, they came up with a, their name was the Triangles. Like, how crazy, how ridiculous crazy. is that? And I think I remember the Chicago Bulldogs. That was years ago, though. I could be wrong. The fact that the Dayton, Dayton even had a football team to me is crazy enough, but that's interesting. Um, but they, the Giants are the only team in NFL history to do this over a two-game span. This is the type of, like, what they've put us through as fans so far this year they got destroyed week one that's the whole roller coaster emotions they're starting to get destroyed by the cardinals everything looks like it's lost all hope is lost people are like should brian dable be fired what happened here was coach of the year a whole mistake and then he takes them and him and daniel jones take them on an insane comeback victory to save the season against the cardinals which was just so unbelievably exciting uh to watch and to be a part of and thank god it happened nick because Dude. i i was i people were texting me about it and i, and I was like you know, a lot of people are expecting a Dan rant tonight. It wasn't going to be a Dan rant kind of night. If the Giants had lost that game, it wasn't going to be a Dan rant kind of night. It was going to be a Dan sad kind of night. I was just going to be, I wouldn't have had energy to, I'm not, wasn't, I'm, I wasn't at any point angry today. I was just sad and depressed. I was never angry when they were getting killed by the Cardinals. There was no anger that came out of me. Like, it was just like, oh my God, this could be real. Like the Giants could somehow I guess last year was a fluke. Like, how is this even possible that they look like 2021 again? Uh, but obviously, thank God they made that comeback. We were texting each other back and forth like this can't be real right now. They have to figure it no. out. And they did. But I got to be honest, and I know you feel this way, too. You allowed yourself to get down like that against the Arizona Cardinals. That's problematic. Like, we, we had expectations just two short weeks ago, Dan, that this team was a possible contender to go into the playoffs and win some playoff games. Maybe not a Super Bowl contender yet, but if things develop the right way, they could progress to the Super Bowl. The Giants through two games, I do not feel that way. I'm grateful that they beat the Arizona Cardinals. There's something wrong there, Dan. Well, that's the that's the main factor. We discussed a little bit before off the pod. Like, here's my take on that, Nick. If we want to keep things in perspective right now, and I know a lot of people applaud us for and, and they enjoy coming to the show because we we are objective. We try to stay objective and not go too fanboyish on it. This current Giants team right now is not a Super Bowl contender, and it's not really a playoff contender by any means. But I just feel like, Nick, from watching the NFL all these years, man, 
what you are in week two doesn't really mean that much. It's all about what you are in week 19, 20, you know, 21. And yeah. a lot's going to change. Teams are going to get a lot of injuries. The Giants are going to get some injuries. The Giants might get lucky with injuries. I saw a tweet from Ben Solak this week, Nick, about the Eagles. And it was a tweet basically saying like they have had more injuries just in the first week going into week from week one to week two than they had like all last season. And that's the type of luck and variance that's involved in injuries. And that's like the Giants and the Giants passing game could look different than it could be more evolved. Giants running game could look different. The Giants run defense. Giants pass even. So like right now, yes, if the Giants were forced to play a playoff game right now, I wouldn't have con- or make a play like playoff start to them tomorrow. We say I don't have confidence, but I, and I, and and it's a good point to say, like, let's not get too crazy about a comeback win against the Cardinals. I get it. They're a bad team. And I don't think they're tanking actively, Nick, but maybe inactively tanking. But I just feel like I'm not going to worry too much about if this team looks like a playoff team now, like the chiefs don't look that good right now. Right. Like they don't, they're not, they won't want to enter the playoffs looking how they do. That's why you got to take it one week at a time. Yeah. Just uh, going into the, going into this week or going into the Dallas game, at least we would be like, ah, man, we're going to roll over the Cardinals. Even this week, we're like, ah, we're going to steamroll over them. And I look down and I'm like, holy, it's 20, nothing right now are you kidding me like 21 what's going on here luckily they they ended up figuring it out but that's the positive way sometimes you can look at things you know glass half empty sometimes you can look at a glass right. half full and the giants were able to dig themselves out of that hole and win a football game on the road with a short week coming up against a very formidable opponent so there's something positive to look at there as well yeah they woke the hell up at halftime and they realized like everything is on the line and under pressure when everything was on the line they brought their best out and I want to give a shout out. Yeah, actually, that's so funny. I'm, I, I'm shout out to Will because uh, shout out to both you guys, Marjorie Simmons and Will, because uh, our, our friend of the show, Will, also texted me. Uh, and you guys know him as 27. He texted me. New York Bulldogs were around for three years as the Bulldogs. and The Yanks went a combined nine and 24. So I don't know if that was about the Bulldogs or the Yanks that last part, but New York Bulldogs. I feel like the Chicago thing you just associated because of the Bulls, but I respect it. I've probably. done the exact same thing. Yeah, probably. But I will also say this about um, wait, where, where were we? That Bulldogs thing took me off track, train the thought real quick on, on the, oh, like the first half. So like the offense in the first half, Nick, and we'll get, get to this in the film review. I almost feel like they didn't like a big part of why the offense didn't have any success in the first half was that the defense was that bad. And the Cardinals possessed the ball for what felt like the entire first half. The Cardinals didn't punt the ball through three quarters of this game. The Arizona Cardinals, the Josh Dobbs led Arizona Cardinals with not a single offensive lineman to write home about Marquise Brown is their top weapon. And James Conner, I guess, is their lead back. Like, and he's a fine player, James Conner. They didn't punt for three quarters. Like, that's the story of the game as far as where the Giants are at now, what concerns us. But I don't like the offense to me. It felt like got kind of one of those weird, you know, in football, when you watch, it's just like some games have a weird game flow to where I feel like you don't get enough possessions on offense. And it's hard. And, you know, people look at that final stats the first half and be like, oh my God, the Giants offense, it's terrible. It's what we just like last week. But it's like, Eh, kind of. They were on the field so little in that first half. So I was happy to see them kind of put it all together in that second half. Nick, I want to give you a few other stats before we move forward here. Um, and then I want to talk a little bit about uh, some other things, including Saquon Barkley's injury at the end of the game. Uh, but Jalen Hyatt in this game obviously played a big role in sparking this victory. You talked about the throw Daniel Jones had to Hyatt later in the game. What I loved about that throw late in the game, and we'll talk about the first one after, is that Jones gave Hyatt a chance to go up and get the football. Jones, that's what I want. That's what we want to see more from Jones. Throw up those 50-50 balls. Let the receivers make big plays on it, like Jalen Hyatt did there. And you can go cut in. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, one word of encouragement, too. We watched a lot of Jalen Hyatt tape. How many times did he do that in college? That yeah, type of play. Point. 
right. not too Climb long. The ladder, can't catch. Right. That's a beautiful, it was just a beautiful rep by Jalen Hyatt. So I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah, because what do we always say? We when we're talking about Hyatt, even back to the days when we were saying we thought he was a little overrated as a first round prospect. But you know, even that may seem to be like we, we might have bad take on that as well. We always said it's not that we don't think he can do these things, it's that he didn't really show them at the college level. And some of that might be that he wasn't asked to show them. And when that happens with a prospect, you just don't know what you're getting. It's a mix, you know, you're you're it's a grab bag type of thing. Like you might get a guy who can rise up high point of football like that and hands catch it and come down with it like he did. And obviously he got open on that post earlier in the game. I don't know if you saw this from your seats, but it looked like he got way open on a similar post type route where Jones just didn't see him earlier in the game comes back to him. The second half, first play of it, sees him dials it up, Thought it was a fine throw. It wasn't probably the best throw, but it was a fine throw. It was a fine throw. It could have been out in front a little bit more. But I think the Giants went back to the well. They saw in the first half that Jones didn't see that, but they saw how the safety reacted. The safety bit down on the over route. So like first drive, first and 10 we get, we're going to throw that deep post if the safety bites down and the safety bit down on the deep over again. I'm not sure who ran it. It might have been either Slayton or Darren Waller and Jalen Hot was wide open. I mean, whoever the cornerback right. was, it might have been Marco Wilson. It's like you have you're an outside leverage against the post route. You need your safety there. You can't really do anything in that situation if he bites down like that. Yeah. Hyatt had 44 and a half yards per catch in this game, Nick. That was the highest by a Giants receiver in a game. Uh, shout out to WBG84 uh, for this. I'm um, sorry, I got the name wrong for a second. It's been a it's been a long night. Um this was the most by a Giants receiver yards per catch since Victor Cruz's Christmas Eve game against the Jets. Obviously, that was highlighted by a 99-yard touchdown. Most by a rookie Giants receiver since Jamar Taylor. Throwback Jamar Taylor shout-out uh, against the Eagles in 2004. Um, let's just say this, Nick. We can get to this point now because I wanted to bring this up anyway at some point on the reaction show. Jalen Hyatt adds different elements to the Giants offense. Jalen Hyatt kind of at this point needs to see his snap share jump because when Jalen Hyatt's on the field, especially after the play that he put on film today, that long catch, and obviously we discussed that he did a nice job. He did a really nice job high pointing on a 33-yard catch as well. Defenses play the Giants differently, and if they don't play them currently differently, they're going to start playing them differently because they're going to get the tape on Hyatt. They're going to see what he can do on those posts. They're going to see the separation he's creating on the vertical plane, and they're going to have to op- uh, you know, play a little further off the ball, and that will open up other things in the middle of the field for the players like Darren Waller. So my thought on this now, Nick, is yes, the rotation was fun. It was interesting. It was nice, but just like they did on the offensive line, they said, look, Mark Lewinsky, you're out. You're in, Marcus McAthlin. Let's see what you got. I think it's probably time for them to do something similar with the receivers. And I don't know who that means less playing time for. My thought process is maybe it's Paris Gamble right now. That's where maybe. my mind went to. Right? Um, yeah. And so and I, like I don't Paris know what Campbell. happened. He had his role. And they like Paris yeah. Campbell as well. But to me, like Isaiah Hodgins had some plays in this game that were like, yeah, he found space. He, he got open. The one throw by Daniel Jones, I think it was in the first half with Isaiah Hodgins. That was a beautiful throw away from coverage. But Isaiah Hodgins also put himself in a position to get away from the coverage because the cornerback was driving through his inside hip to try to pick that, that pass off. Beautiful pass yes. by Daniel Jones and good route by Isaiah Hodgins. And then Slayton, I just feel like Slayton always comes to the table when, it, when, when his number is called. So it's like, are you going to sacrifice snaps for him? But I'm, I'm right there with you, man. Jalen Hyde just adds something different to this team. And if you're a Giant fan, you got to be excited about him. And Slayton made some big plays in this game, by the way. 
And not only is Slade make some big plays in this game, Nick, he came really close to making two more huge plays. The catch that he was just out of bounds on, that was an insane catch by Slade, maybe the I best catch of his career. It wasn't ruled a catch, and it was incomplete. It was not a bad call or anything. But if that's just a couple inches further to the left, which is just random, that's going down as like the best catch of his career. And people will be talking about that all week. The concentration, the way he was able to crazy. bend back and watch that into his hands and then almost get both his feet down. That was that was crazy. And that's for a guy who supposedly, you know, has had issues. And it's true. He's had issues with drop. Also, earlier in the first half, he ran a vertical route where he created two, three, four steps of separation. And Jones just didn't. Jones just missed him on that one. It was, a, a, bad it was a hangball. Yeah, it was a bad pass. And Jones, it, it, the truth of the matter is, anyone who watches should be able to tell you this. I could I could only hope for Nick. But the truth of the matter is, Jones looked rattled in that first half. It looked like a carryover from the Cowboys game. And then, boom, just snapped right out of it in the second half and looked like a totally different player, which was crazy to see, but also a good sign. It shows that he has that in him. He has the ability to kind of turn it on. And even if a day is going bad, you know, you put it behind you. And that's what a lot of these quarterbacks, the best quarterbacks I've listened to. One of the things they always say when they're recapping their careers, Nick, it seems like I've heard this from Peyton, from Eli, from everyone is number one trait with a quarterback is having no memory, right? You just have to go into this thing and be like, whatever just happened isn't an indicator of what's to come. And that's like a good stat lesson too, right? Like it's just like the people who go to the roulette table and they see on the roulette board that it was red seven times in a row. So they'll go, I'm putting $150 on black. It has to be black. It was just red seven times in a row. The reality is you shouldn't be looking at gambling like that. And it's similar with what we were just talking about. Just because bad, it was you got really unlucky or, or, or a series of events got, was really surprising in the past doesn't predict what's going to happen in the future. Instead of saying, this is going to happen next, it's going to be black, you should say, wow, look how crazy it is that red went seven times in a row. You should talk about the past, not try to predict the future. And it's the same thing I feel like with what these great quarterbacks can do. They can say, I know I played like shit in the first half. I missed throws. I was late. I can put that behind me, and let's move on from there. And that's what Daniel Jones did today. You know, the odds don't change. It's always going to be 50. Always 50-50. Red or black. Gambers fouls. <laughs> yeah, well, no, not- yeah, he was he was Jekyll Hyde, man. And that's what he's that's what Daniel I, I missed that. You're cutting out a little bit on my end, which is unfortunate, but uh I hope it's not gonna translate to the audio. But yeah, no, Daniel Jones was Jekyll and Hyde, man. That, that's just totally different. The one throw that he had, I think it was Darren Waller on an over route. It was thrown like two yards behind Darren Waller. It was after the Darren Waller drop. It was like the next play. And I'm just like, dude, this kid, and I was in direct eyesight to see how bad of a pass that was. And I think I texted you. I'm like, dude, Jones looks rattled. Or I said something along those lines. Completely different player, though, in the second half. Yeah, and that's, again, a really good sign to see. Let's, we're going to get into some other stuff here, Nick, in, in, in a bit. Um, I want to talk a little bit about a big topic in my mind from this, which is the Saquon Barkley injury. And we'll discuss what we know right now on that. But some crazy numbers from this game that I just thought were awesome. The Giants were four and four, four of four in the red zone today, Nick. That was a big factor in why the Giants were able to have so many comeback victories last year and just general so many wins, the red zone efficiency. That was something that carried over at least to this game. And that's something that I thought was really impressive from the Giants. Arizona scored a touchdown on the first drive of the second half, and they had at that point scored on five straight possessions there. And I talked about how they hadn't had the punt until the till the fourth quarter, Nick. But the Cardinals on their final four drives, Nick, totaled just 48 yards of offense on their final four drives. So I will give kudos to the Giants defense for the end of the game and, and kind of how they finished off this game. Obviously, there was some discussion, Nick. I'm not sure if you've seen this, but there was some discussion that Brian Dable took over play calling in the second half. It's been debunked from Dable himself. Uh, I don't think he's lying. I know some conspiracy theorists have put on their tinfoil hats since, and they've 
discussed that they believe Dable might be lying about this, Nick. Uh, I don't think he is. Obviously, there were, you know, shots of him on the sideline with the, with the play call sheet, which he hasn't had in the past. But it's possible that he just wanted to get more involved in it. But still, Mike Kafka was calling the plays, and that's what Dable said happened. So I'm just going to believe that happened, Nick. Where do you where are you at with that conspiracy theory? It did seem like there was a big change, but I'm just going to trust Dable at his word. I've seen Mike Kafka call really good offense yes. before, so it's not like he's a new coach who just got in over his shoes. And Dable's like, screw it. Dable was looking over his call sheet. I'm sure he does that often to help influence, maybe what Mike Kafka is doing. Perhaps that happened. He's an offensive coach. It's an offensive mind, but I don't read into it too much. We'll see on prime time on Thursday night football. I'm sure they'll be talking about that though. If Dable is really looking like he's calling plays. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, Big Blue Banter listeners? I'm excited for the football season for several reasons. And one of those reasons is Prize Picks, which is North America's largest independently owned daily fantasy sports platform. And it's so simple to use. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals, sharks, and people who are going to exploit you, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections, and you just watch the winnings roll in. It's very simple to play and gives you a little extra skin. I've set my picks in less than 60 seconds. There are so many stats to choose from, and the withdrawals of funds are easy and quick. Dan and I will be adding a segment to our show before every game where we pick our favorite stats, more or less yards or touchdowns, what have you, and we'll be discussing why from a scheme, matchup, and game theory perspective. I love their promotions and how easy their interface is to operate at prize picks. I may select more on tackles for a loss from Bobby Okereke or Kayvon Thibodeau next game. They also do other sports as well. 
It's a really cool experience. Please join Dan and I in the fun of prize picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com slash banter and use code banter for a first deposit matchup to $100. You will not regret it. This is Dan Schneier, the Big Blue Banter Podcast. In case you didn't know, The show you're listening to right now is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they worked together. And now Blue Wire currently has 300 shows with athletes, celebrities, passionate fans like myself. I found Blue Wire right around the time when I started the Big Blue Banter podcast. When I started Big Blue Banter in 2018, I had an idea for a show, a name for a show, and then I had to figure out how to monetize that show and grow that show. That's when I found Blue Wire. Kevin Jones put everything on the line for this company and then found us and this show a way to monetize the content with strategy sessions, provided us new segments, connect us with podcasters, and even gave us an opportunity to record in the Win Vegas studio. Blue Wire has now raised over $10 million privately to grow and operate the business, and they're raising another round right now on WeFunder to expand the sales team and improve the operations. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It gives everyone an opportunity to be a part of the growing startup. This is not a donation. You're investing to own a piece of BlueWire. If you would like to be a part of the BlueWire investment round or you want to find out more information, go to WeFunder.com slash BlueWire. And remember, supporting BlueWire is another way to support our show and this podcast. Nick, you ever been in the spot where you just felt like, I've got a few hours to go. I'm going to this game. I'm buying tickets. I don't have the tickets yet. You're stressing. The anxiety is at an all-time high. You're trying to figure out what the heck you can do to get to this game. That happened to me a few years ago when the Wisconsin Badgers made the Sweet 16 game in the Madison Square Garden. My dad, diehard Badgers fan, the reason I went to Wisconsin, the reason I am a Badgers fan, I needed to get him tickets for that game. It was his birthday. So I'm stressing. I don't know what to do. And then, boom, I figure it out. I use the GameTime app. The GameTime app is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and anything near you. They got killer deals, last-minute tickets. You click open the app, and you're shocked to see that you can actually go to these games, having a good time, and not actually have to pay so much money that it breaks your bank account. Stanley Cup Final Week 1 this past season. I used the GameTime app last second. It was actually past the time of puck drop. Went on the app. I was in Vegas. Saw the Vegas Golden Knights defeat the Florida Panthers. And I also used the GameTime app to buy my entire family when they came out here to Phoenix to visit me to see Tom Segura's special, which is actually the same special Netflix used for their videotapings. And I love it because you can find so much on the app. Like you get an actual image of the seat view. Not like you're buying a seat with an obstructed view. It's an actual image. You know what you're getting. Lowest prices that I've seen by far, and that's their guarantee. You get an event cancellation protection, job loss protection. They go all out here to make sure that this is a great experience for the user. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code BANTER. That's B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code BANTER. B-A-N-T-E-R for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Agreed. And we would learn about that fast. So I went over the good stat, Nick, earlier, the Daniel Jones stat for mover size, and that was amazing. Just shows how good he was in that half. Let me go over the uh, troubling stat, Nick. 
especially for me and you, because we had a prediction that this uh, is not looking this first this prediction bias is not looking great right now. And again, remember what I said before about how what the Giants are right now in week two, we both agree is not a playoff or Super Bowl contender right now. But that doesn't mean that's going to be what they are in week in January and February. So this is one thing that will have to change if the Giants want to become a serious contender. And that thing right now, Nick, is the Giants have now gone two games without recording a sack on the defensive side of the no. ball. Since sacks were an official stat in 1982, 2023 is the first time the Giants opened the first two games of the season without a sack or a forced, to- a forced turnover since sacks became a stat. Um, you know, we discussed at times in this offseason, Nick, how we believe the Giants defensive front could be the best, one of the best in the NFL. Leonard <laughs> Williams, Dexter Lawrence, Aziz Ojolari, Kayvon Thibodeau, and potentially Ajon Robinson with a five-man front. Not only are they not competing to be the best in the NFL right now, Nick, you know, they're tracking as one of those, like, at this stage of the game, really inconsequential and non-impactful defensive fronts right now. I, again, think this will change. I'm not ready to call any of these guys bust or anything, but it's definitely a scary stat to see because we thought this was a good matchup against the Cardinals O-line. Absolutely was. And the one interception that Jason Pinnock had, it does seem like he probably wouldn't have had that if it wasn't for the PI, at least from my vantage point. That's what it appeared to be. I'll say this, man. The Cardinals established their quick game passing attack very efficiently in the first half of this game. Like all Josh Dobbs was doing it was nothing complex. It was just basically tight end to the flat and then slant flat and wait till the flat defender moves out of the throwing window and throw the football. And it's just like the Giants. I don't know if they're playing too far off or what exactly they're doing on first and 10 and these, you know, these um, balanced downs where they could run or they could pass because it seems like the Giants are just giving up quick game and the Giants can't get a pass rush whatsoever against that because the football's out of the quarterback's hands right when they get to the right when they uh, set in the back foot of the drop back. That's got to change. There, there has to be something where the Giants just get better at defending the quick game passing attack, these West Coast concepts, these simple concepts. And we like, I don't want to say we made excuses about it against Dallas. That game was a little odd from the defensive perspective. The Giants were down quick. It wasn't really necessarily the fault of the defense. But in this game, you're having Josh Dobbs and the Cardinals drive the football down your throat. You're not turning the football over. You're getting no sacks. You're not really getting that much pressure either other than Dexter Lawrence just pushing the center right right back into the pocket and Dobbs just steps to the side. So what the hell is going on? And I'm wondering if it is the Giants taking a more conservative approach with their edge rushers and saying, hey, they might run the football. So be a little bit tempered with your rush. I know that from just watching on broadcast real quick before I jumped on here, seemed to be a lot of play action, a lot of mesh point with James Conner. Maybe that held them up a little bit. That did set up some easy passing concepts uh, for the Arizona Cardinals. But Dan, either way, even if that is the case, you would expect there to be a little bit more pressure from the Giants, especially from a team coached by Wink Martindale. So to say it's uh, problematic would be accurate for me, especially going into San Francisco where you know they got a very good blocking tight end out there and they're just one of the most well-coached teams in the league. Yeah, I mean, I think you brought up an interesting point there, Nick. It's something I noticed during the game. It's like a lot of what. The, so the, we we talk about how the Cardinals went on five straight scoring possessions in this game, right? That was just they were totally dominant on the offensive side of the ball for the whole first half and then the first series of the third quarter, which is insane to say because it was the Josh Dobbs offense, <laughs> Josh Dobbs, right? That's enough said. But then add to it a bad O line, like Josh Dobbs in a bad O line with a first time play caller on offense shouldn't really be giving you this much trouble. And then I think about it and I think like what you said is kind of right. It's almost like simplified down to the core of like, they weren't doing anything interesting on offense. They were just running quick game and all the zone remesh point stuff. And the giants, I guess it's like what you said, is it a problem of one, are they playing too far off the ball or is it a problem of two? Like 
are they not getting their hands up the defensive linemen to try to stop that? Like sometimes in the past, the Giants have kind of like stymied that by just tipping the ball at the line of scrimmage and a lot of batted passes. That didn't seem to be the case in this game. Obviously, you know, we'll look at the film, but Kayvon Thibodeau, yeah. not, it didn't look like a great game on the broadcast. And same yeah. could be said really for across the board, I think. Like Leonard Williams at this point, scaring me because like Leonard Williams, you're not going to get these kind of guard matchups every week. Week one, he gets a backup left guard week two. He gets the Cardinals left guard. And I don't know which side is Hernandez playing these days. I didn't even really notice him out there today, to be completely honest with you. It's either left or right side. I assume uh, if he's even still playing for them, um, that shows how much I, I followed the Cardinals offensive line this week. And that's the state they were in. Like, you know, like you didn't have to, like we had somebody on to talk about the Cardinals and, at Smith, and he basically told us, like, this is a disaster-type team right now. And obviously that wasn't the case in the first half of the Giants today, but they rallied back. But, yeah, the defense to me right now is the biggest story as far as what needs to improve, Nick, for sure. Um, do you want to jump in there, or do you want me to give you some snap count uh, information real quick? Yeah, just one thing. It's, it's not even just the, the, the lack of pressure, but it seems like these deep over routes are killing the Giants. And that's something that happened early last season. Remember against yep. Tennessee, Todd Downing just kept calling deep over routes. Kyle Phillips was tearing the New York Giants up. And then also running backs out of the backfield. You had Zach Ertz getting open. There was the, it might've been McBride. I know McBride had a long catch, but I don't know who ran that tight end. It was kind of like a wheel concept, a little bit more of an out and up towards the sideline. Wide open. If Josh Dobbs put a little bit of touch on that, that's probably a touch. I think that was on the first drive where they missed a field goal. Could have been a game difference, uh, a huge difference in the game. Another thing too, man, if they don't miss that field goal, what's the outcome of this game on the yes. first drive? So there's like, you know, so I guess it wasn't all um, scoring because it wasn't missed field goal, but they were in position. What was that field goal? I have it right here. Yeah, it was a 55 yarder. So a little bit, a little bit far, but, but yeah, dude, there's, there's some serious issues. There's some serious issues and it goes beyond just the pressure. You know, it goes to run defense, run fitting. It goes to passing off routes yep. and match coverage. So, and it's not even just like, I mean, it could be, we have to watch the film to see if it's just the rookies struggling. But to me, it seems like it's a little bit of the safeties as well. I will say though, the, the rookies, they look sticky in coverage when, when it's tasked, like, Hey, it's man coverage. You're on this guy. They're not getting beat. They're, you know, right. the wide receiver breaks, they're right in the hip. So that's something encouraging to take away. I think it is very encouraging. It's that's what makes it so weird. Like the Giants got dominated on defense for a full half and then a possession of the uh, third quarter when it wasn't like we're looking at play after play of these corners blowing something right. Or the corners like bad coverage or when the ball's thrown their way, they, they give up 50 fifties. None of that's happening. And yet they're still getting trounced. And it felt like a lot of it was James Connor taking it to them on the ground. Like you said, bad run fits. We'll talk about McFadden and Okereke on tape, but didn't seem like a good game for them. That seems like a work in progress. Clearly the defensive line is not making enough of an impact on the run game either to prevent that from happening. And they did tighten up again in those final four drives and the Cardinals only had 48 yards over their final for possession. So obviously the Giants defense did tight up, playing up, but like you're right. It's it's just non-traditional. It's not really sometimes you can look at a Giants defense uh over the years where they've struggled, Nick, and you can pinpoint one reason. Like they keep throwing at that corner too, and he just keeps getting burned and there's no yeah. option side hold or give it up. It doesn't seem like there's that there's that this year. It almost seems like it's more of just like the guys who are supposed to be stepping up right now are not exactly stepping up. Like Yes, Dexter Lawrence's tape was better than than people think in week one, but it wasn't like he was absolutely dominant in week one. And I don't think he was dominant in this game either. And then Leonard Williams, where the hell is he, man? He's making yeah. 33 million against the cap. Like you need more plays. Kayvon Thibodeau, I, I would defended him this week, but at this point, he also needs more plays in the passing game, more big plays that spark wins like that Baltimore Ravens and Washington game he had last year. All those guys just need more plays. Okereke, I'm throwing in that mix as well because Okereke was signed to a massive contract. 
I believe he will help them no matter what sideline to sideline, but he also has to help them in these run fits uh, on the interior. It's going to be the only way the Giants get better uh, throughout the season. So, yeah. So the defense throw, right now. Yep, I throw Xavier ahead. McKinney's name in there, too. Fair. He needs more big plays, too. I can give that, too. Even though I felt like he had a good week one on film, it wasn't yeah, right. It wasn't week. like he did, but it's not like he made a big splash play, a forced fumble. And he tried to, by the way, ETN it today. I don't know if you saw that in that first t- Connor touchdown. He went for the, the full ETN. Was that was that McKinney or was that somebody else? I thought it was McKinney. I'm, I'm not sure. That was on the other end okay. of the stadium. Yeah, yeah but I'm, not, I'm not exactly sure either. Someone in the comments could correct me. It might have been Pinnock, but they went for the rip. The, ETN that ball through the end zone like, like Justin Jefferson. That would have changed things too. But look, the defense right now is not playoff caliber. I think that's pretty clear. But what I'm focused on, Nick, right now is is the offense getting to a level where they might be. And today, you know, one thing we talked about, Nick, and I'm going to shout out Justin Panic of Talking Giants for this because he brought the stats on this one, Nick. But one thing we did discuss throughout the entire offseason was the Giants are going to win games this year it's going to be because they started to dial up explosive plays. And why do we feel this way? Well, we have looked through the stats. We've dug through the numbers. We've watched football ourselves, all the games that we've, we've tried to watch as many games as we can. And we've learned that in the NFL these days, explosive plays are the telling stat that decide wins and losses for the most part. You need explosive plays to have any chance to win. And the Giants today had them in the second half. They had no runs of 10 yards. This is according to Justin Pennick. They had no runs of 10 plus yards or passes of 15 plus yards in the first half. But in the second half, they had four plays of 25 yards or more, six plays of 15 yards or more, five runs of 10 plus yards, some with Daniel Jones. And they created the chunk plays that allowed the Giants. This is Justin editorializing it, but they created the chunk plays that allowed Giants to get back in the game and win the game. I completely agree with him on this take. I think the chunk plays were the reason the Giants had the chance to make a comeback. When you're down that much, Nick, you don't have time. Time is working against you. The clock is ticking. When you go out of bounds, the clock is ticking. Tick, 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 tick. And I didn't think the management was that great of the clock, by the way, for the Giants. I just think they were so dominant over those last, you know, six, seven, eight possessions, both sides of the ball, that it didn't matter. But you need explosive plays to make that possible, and they got them in this game. Yeah, I know. The Giants were dead last, as we said so many times, Oof. in explosive plays last year, and they still were able to make the playoffs. I mean, it's depressing to think, though, the Arizona Cardinals had, I think, five or six explosive plays against the Giants in this game, which is too much for the Arizona Cardinals. You had Josh Dobbs, who had like a 20-plus yard run. I think James Conner had a 20-plus yard run to open the game, I believe it was. And it's like, I don't even know, when's the last time James Conner had it? Like, does that happen often? I don't I don't believe it does. Yeah. He's more of like that Curtis Martin. I'm just going to get three to five yards every time and be very physical and reliable and not fumble the football. So, I mean, we, we've already kind of harped on the defense, but to transition back to the offense, 100%. And when you add players like Paris Campbell, Darren Waller, Jalen Hyatt, you expect to get those explosive plays. And also Daniel Jones using his legs like he did. And I, don't, I, I think Daniel Jones didn't have a 20-plus yard game, but he had a 16-yard yeah, 16 run or a 15-yard run. Yeah, I think he had another one that was in the double digits, just extending plays. He had the one run on third and nine that was really important. I think that happened uh, third and 12, huge third and 12 run, run by Daniel Jones. Yeah, and then, okay, yeah, I had that written down. Also, another thing, dude, I wanted to bring up. Some yeah. dumb penalties by the Arizona Cardinals in the second half really just kind of helped the Giants either put their – did the Cardinals offense into a bad spot or really help the Giants uh, offense? So something else I wanted to bring up. And another thing just on the offensive uh, topic, the T formation again, the Giants got to run some sort of play action off that. Dude. It worked again, but I was so nervous when I saw them bring it back out today, Nick, I was like, you're really testing it here. I know Three it worked right. It worked on red zone too. Same exact run to the six hole inside of Matt right. Parrott and Evan right. Neal, big beef. 
We have Daniel Bellinger lead. You have Gary Brightwell taking whoever's going to try to wrap around. Well-designed play. Giants got to run something off that, though. You got to run some sort of play action. action If they come out and they try to run that again, San Francisco's going to shut that shit down. Unless they boot action off it. Maybe some boot action off it. Leak Gary Brightwell we out. We another play today, by the way, Nick, where we didn't, I didn't think we were going to get this again for the rest of the year. I didn't mean to yeah. cut you off. I just thought it was funny because we've talked no, about no, this. No, it's, it's fine. I just keep thinking I, Paul Horning is going to like run out of the run out of the locker room and, and like strap up and go because that's like a formation that was used in like the 50s and the I, 60s. I know. But you know what we talked about all year? I was like, or after the Cowboys game, we're like, all right, the, 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 the gig is up. This could finally be the last time we see a defense that we, we may have seen the last of a defense not respecting Daniel Jones' boot action. Then we saw today he rolls, he boots to his left, and he's wide open for the touchdown run earlier in the game. It like, wasn't a boot. That was his, that was his own read. No zone read. Okay. No, even when yeah, it was zone read. You're right. Cause the, I remember yeah. the, the, the end of the line, man, the scrimmage just crashing down towards Saquon. It was zone read, but it was just like, dude, how are we still at this point where defenses are on zone read, not holding up and, and making sure Jones doesn't keep the ball. Like he's going to take that every time it's free money. And that was a free touchdown for the giants. It was excellent too. Zayvon Collins, he's playing edge for them now, but Zayvon Collins yeah. is he's a linebacker at Tulsa. So like he's going to get a little bit maybe aggressive towards the run and you can influence right. him and that happened there. And it's something that the Dallas Cowboys, they were pretty damn disciplined last week. They were like, I am not letting eight beat me with his legs. The Dallas Cowboys have that shit on lockdown. Like Dan Quinn respects the hell out of Daniel Jones's legs. All these other defensive coordinators, they might not. Now, Jonathan Gannon comes from the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm sure that he was telling Zayvon Collins, like right. eight is really fast. Don't let him do that. Zayvon Collins, you know, players, sometimes they can get coached up and they can still screw up. They could. Um, and also, by the way, one great thing about that final scoring drive, not the field goal drive, the last touchdown drive for the Giants, you know, faced with adversity on that drive with the penalty inside the red zone to back them really far up. And I, I got to say, I wasn't thrilled with the run call after getting backed up, but it ultimately led to a touchdown with a really good throw into a tight window from Daniel Jones to Hodgins. And just awesome to see the Giants face that adversity within the adversity, the adversity they already faced going down so much you know, 20 to nothing, the 28 to seven in this game, but then to have that touchdown called back, the game time touchdown called back and then to come back despite the penalty and score again, it was a really good moment. I thought for them in, 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 in the more micro level there. No, absolutely. Let me do some snap count stuff with you, Nick, and see what your thoughts are there. And then I want to discuss the Saquon Barkley thing, and then we can get out of here again. If anyone wants to uh, ask any questions for us, just uh, send those in. But uh, I think for this show, we're mostly going to be doing a recap. But obviously, if you support the show and 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 put and send us some money, because that's what we're working for. If we'll be honest, we are working still here. Um, we'll, we'll definitely answer your question here. Otherwise, we'll probably do mostly recap here. But Nick, some stat, some snap count stuff that I thought was interesting here before we get into the Barkley stuff here. Um, so let's do these are courtesy of Doug analytics, by the way, on the snap counts, the giant snap count combinations versus the Cardinals per Doug Daniel Bellinger on the field for 21 of the 28 snaps with Darren Waller. And we didn't talk a lot about Waller, by the way, yet, Nick and Waller had really his first really good game. I thought with the giants, so he was finally kind of being exactly what we thought that guy who could get open. So maybe before we get into anything more on the snap counts, I'm going to tell you some stuff with the receivers too, to get your takes there. But what do you think about Waller's game with the giants today? And open in the middle of the field, and that's why the Giants added him. Get open in the middle field. He got took that really bad shot where he didn't catch the football to like the inside hip. Can't really knock him for that too much. You want him to secure that, but you know you're going to drop some footballs when you take hits like that. So, yeah, Darren Waller looked fine from, from the vantage point that I had up in the up in the stands. Gigantic, very athletic. Keep them hamstrings healthy, kid. 
Sounds good. To, or Sorry, Nick, I got, I got a little sidetracked there with a little bit of a work message that I'm going to have to mute for the second here now, and we'll get back to that later. Um, but yes, so another thing I want to discuss is Jalen Hyatt, 14 snaps in this game, Nick. Darius Slayton was on the field for 12 of those snaps. Darren Waller, seven. Campbell, seven. And Hodgins, three. So just curious what kind of combinations they could be using with Hyatt moving forward. But I think we both kind of pretty much feel like Hyatt should be uh, more in the mix. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. And I think that's what the Giants' plan is. If he, if he's proving that he can do it, why would you not have him out there, that type of weapon? Especially when he's like climbing the ladder and making contested catches and shit like that. He can offer that. And he's also going to make the defense respect the fact that the Giants can actually create explosive plays through their passing attack. Yeah, I think you should put 13 out there. So I'm hoping that that gets ramped up a little bit. For sure. Some defensive ca- snap counts. will close out on this ca- uh, snap count stuff. Bobby O'Karake, uh, Jackson, uh, Dory Jackson, Deontay Banks, and McKinney were the only Giants defenders to play all 100% of the snaps. Pinnock played all but one snap, but he missed with a little bit of a, uh, an eye injury, but he was fine. So those are kind of your core guys. You don't miss snaps. Obviously, on the defense side of the ball, it happens typically more often, especially if you're the Giants and you have all these offensive line rotations. Uh, so you're moving get guys in and out. Dexter Lawrence, 73% of the snaps. Leonard Williams, 60% of the snaps. DJ Davidson had so 17 snaps. Um, and Kayvon Thibodeau had 66 snaps in this game. Uh, Isaiah Simmons, 12 snaps or 12 snaps in the pat on pass plays, 13 total. So he's only on the field for one run play in this game. Do we have Boogie, by the way? I don't have the numbers on Boogie. I'm looking for Boogie. Uh, they, yeah, this is according to again. Snaps, I believe. Yeah, Boogie okay. had 13, thir- only 13. That's it's kind of odd, right? No, he's yeah. Ojolari and, and Boogie's only playing right, 13. Snaps. Play more. I would I would think and, that Boogie would would be the replacement for that. I know O'Shane ended up playing 19 snaps. Right. And in the second half, you saw O'Shane, you know, he had one play where he set the edge and boxed everything inside. James Conner had nowhere to go. And I was like, oh, O'Shane's a menace setting an edge. Huh. Who would who would have known, right? <laughs> what do we got here? Exactly. Uh, what do we got here? A couple other things I want to go over. Honestly, I thought he looked okay at times too, but we'll, we'll have to see on, t- on t- yeah. yeah, and it could be a nice little bounce back there for O'Shane, who's been written off. But Dexter Lawrence and, and Leonard Williams next just played a combined, according to Doug Analytics, 35 of 63. That's just 56 snaps on the field together, Nick. That is, when we made our prediction that the Giants' defense line could be like one of the top in the league, I don't think either of us expected it to be, look like, uh, to look like, it, it, we didn't expect it to be that way if we knew that Leonard Williams and Dexter Lawrence were going were gonna to play on the field that often together. And I don't know did what that say, rotation. Did you say 56 yeah, snaps together? Sorry. No, 56% of the total snaps were, they were on both on the field for. Gotcha. Okay. okay. So yeah. heavy rotation, which is fine, but like, this is supposed to be the lifeblood of the defense. And so, especially when you're paying all that money to both Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams, uh, Isaiah Simmons and, and Michael McFadden, Nick never on the field together for a snap. So that was kind of interesting. And then Ashawn and Nacho played 17% of the snap. So uh, uh, Doug Analytics said it best, I feel like, <laughs> in his final point here. He said the, the, the D-line rotation was very confusing. I, I would have to agree with him on that. To me, that's a very confusing rotation. And quite frankly, I think they need to have Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams on the field more often than just 56% of the snaps together, at least. So we'll see I what happens I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that it's a short week, though, too. I think they, right. they they dug deep and they were using like DJ Davidson, who I didn't expect yeah. on a decent amount of snaps. So I think they wanted sure. to try and keep the older pass rushers, i.e. Leonard Williams more specifically, maybe a little bit fresher. 
I think you probably nailed that one, Nick. So I don't think we need to go too much further. Let's talk a little bit about. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Did you say, did you want to jump in there? No, no, no. I was just. I hate the delay here, man. It sucks. But uh, yeah, no. I just said probably, but it's hard. No, yeah. There's a little bit of a delay for those watching. We're going live. Um, there's like a storm in my area. I think that's what what the issue is. Um, so we'll we'll work on that. Work on uh, you know preventing storms. I I feel like I could be. I probably can't prevent storms, Nick, but there was that guy once in Curb Your Enthusiasm, the weatherman who would who uh, predicted storm, predicted wet, bad weather so he could golf and get the good golf tee times. And, and Larry called him out for that. So maybe I can control the weather like that guy did. Actually, I think there's a conspiracy theorist who believe like the the uh, Hollywood controls the weather or something. So we got that going for us, too. So I'll tap into those people and I'll, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll fix our connection for the next one for sure. But let's talk about the Barkley thing for now, Nick, because that was the only bittersweet moment in a game that was so sweet is, you know, end of the game. We're at the point where it's run the ball up the middle. Obviously we know that the Cardinals are just, the giants aren't even trying to get a first down. The Cardinals are just trying to, they're trying to make the Cardinals use as many timeouts as they can limit the clock that would be available to them after the field goal. And they grind Barkley up the middle and somebody falls on his ankle and he gets bent yeah. back backwards. And it's just like, the way I feel, Nick, I get what some Giants fans' takes are, which is Saquon Barkley is a really, really strong fumble rate throughout his career. He is not someone who fumbles the football. It's one of the most underrated aspects about his game that I don't think we even talk about enough just because of how valuable that is. And so you want to probably put the ball in his hand for that reason. But I don't view football like that, Nick. Like I'm like, I would love to have a closer back we feel comfortable in, maybe like a Brightwell type or a Brita. And everyone's like, oh, but what if they fumble? Like, I'm not as worried. Like, these end-of-the-game fumbles don't happen a lot. When a team's milking clock like that, I don't often see them fumbling. They've happened before in history. Obviously, the Giants were, like, the, uh, some of the bigger. I think Dan might have froze a little bit. And I'm going to build on your point a little bit. I can't knock Saquon Barkley being in the game there. Could you imagine telling 26 when you're milking the clock, hey, take a seat even though these are very valuable carries. That's just something that I, I don't think he would accept, nor should you. It's just crappy luck that he ended up getting hurt. He's your franchise back right now, even though he's on a one-year deal. He should be out there to close the game, very valuable reps. So that's where I'm at. And Dan, you're doing an excellent mime impression right now. Nathan, think Biner. What's going on? I Sorry, I lost connection. That was really weird. I was talking about the storm that's rolling in and like immediately we lose connection here. I don't think there's as much of a delay right now. So maybe it actually did you wonders. And I was that's just good. kind of refuting your point. I, I think Saquon should be in there. <laughs> so, okay. I was doing it while you I weren't get it. here. Look, yeah. 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 It's a chance to defend myself. No, I get it. I'm fine with it. Like, look, he probably wants to be in the game there. The Giants want to put in somebody to, uh, somebody's hands that doesn't fumble. Like all that shit makes sense for sure. But I don't know. I just hate, I hate that position that, that he's in. And it's just bad luck that he got rolled up on. I get it, but he's taking a crunching hit there from two angles and everyone knows they're running the football and they're going right up the middle there. So I don't know. It is what it is there, but the reality, the thing is Nick, what I want to get into is how the outlook looks now, because there was differing reports that I've seen since um, first, it was Pat Leonard who said, I, I would characterize Saquon Barkley's demeanor as down and despondent. I'm not clear exactly what the x-rays showed, but his face told the story that it's not good. That was from Pat Leonard, and I believe it was either Ryan Dunleavy or, or Matt Lombardo, I don't have it in front of me, who also said similar, like, Saquon Barkley's demeanor was really despondent in the locker room after game. But then you get Jordan Ronan, who said, uh, Barkley's scheduled to undergo an MRI on his ankle Monday but to determine severity, but, and, but sources tell me and Adam Schefter that 
you know, despite the fact that there was swelling after the game, the initial thinking is, in the words of one source, it's an ordinary, ordinary sprain, not a high ankle sprain. They just need to verify that on Monday. So it seems like more of a positive outlook from Jordan Ronan and Adam Schefter versus what uh, Pat Leonard and um, I forget who, but either Dunleavy or Lombardo said. And I think it's possible, Nick, that Barkley is going to be despondent after that, no matter what the severity is. Like, even if it's just one that caused him to miss one to two weeks, he's going to be pissed because he's been so unlucky with injuries in his career. He's doing another contract season. He just found a way to make it through his last contract season without an injury. But it just seems like he just gets bad luck. Like, right? Like, listen to this. Like, the one that was think of some of his injuries that he's had in his career. The one where he's running a route over the middle against the Cowboys and someone's just like cut undercuts and hits his foot. That's such bad luck. And this one is end of game. He makes it through the whole game fine. And at the very end, they're just milking clock and he gets injured on that type of play. So I just think he might've been despondent in the locker room, regardless of severity. I'm going to take the report from Schefter and Ron on here. And I'm going to hope that they're right because if he only misses two games, this one and the next one, which I think is ultimately what it might be, it's so much better than the high ankle variety or anything severe because that, you know, th- those could limit your whole season. Even if the guy wasn't trying to get a contract for his livelihood and to continue his career, I think he would be desponding because he's that type of player. Saquon sure. Barkley is the type of guy who is just an ultimate competitor. And if he's going to miss time, he's going to absolutely hate every second of that. That's one thing that we've learned about Saquon Barkley over the last year. And I think we knew it going back to his time in college. We have a question, actually, or not even a question, but a statement. I wanted to thank Neil Believes. Thank you so much for the uh, donation here. I was at the game last week, and I'm absolutely relieved that the Giants came back to win this week. This is only the beginning. LFG Giants. Let's go, Neil. Thanks for the donation, my man. I appreciate you. Thanks for supporting the show. We really do appreciate it. Anyone who does this, and even those who who you know may not have it or just want to come and watch the show and, and talk to us, that we support that. We appreciate that as well. Um, it all goes, it all gets, it all gets going. And I'll say this to your point, Nick, about Barkley. I think you know, let's say he misses one game or two games here. If that, I guess that's the positive outlook on this. I think it's almost very unlikely he's going to play on Thursday night. Um, and by the way, lost in the shovel tonight. And I put this out on Twitter and I'll point it out here, Charlotte, um, forgetting her last name, who also covers Carol. the giants for the athletic. Is it Carol, Nick? Yeah. Charlotte Carol. Charlotte Carol had a quote from Andrew Thomas and Thomas, like the, the, you know, the hamstrings progressing really well. He's like, I can't tell you for sure that I'm ready to go because it's hard to know until you're flying, you know, bolts are flying and you're going full speed, but I feel pretty good about where this is progressing. So the giants could get on the lucky side of the Andrew Thomas injury as well, but you know, they don't win this game. I don't want to not knock on wood. Obviously, I don't want to jinx that. But they don't win this game probably without Barkley because the two the the, the touchdown he had, that's a nice individual play by him. Like I'm not so sure Breed is making that play. I'm not sure Breed is stretching that ball out. I'm not sure he's even like creating separation. And the run he had where he spins out of what was a basically no hole. Like the play was blown up by the Cardinals run defense. Spins twice, gets the outside, and creates nine off that or whatever it was. That was another like game defining type of play. So. You know, the Giants, this is this is a big injury for the Giants. We're going to hope it ends up being not as bad as we expect. Now, let's try to answer this, Dan. Barkley yes. doesn't go on Thursday. Let's say this. What do the Giants do at running back? Because Matt Breida is not a one-for-one replacement for Saquon Barkley. I think they're going to try to get creative. And my main point, I think Gary Brightwell is going to get some run. But how much run does Eric Gray get? That's where I think things get interesting. I think that's a great question. I think Gray could have a surprising role in this game if Barkley is forced to miss this game. You know, Gray hasn't had much looks yet, but I thought I, I it's, we've gotten to this point, Nick, where I was like very excited, happy and pleased with this 10 yard punt return because he just caught the football, planted, <laughs> got vertical and took yeah. the 10. 
That's all I want, Nick. Catch the ball, secure it, don't fumble, take 10. You give me that every punt return, and I'm considering it a win. And we got that. It was like a miracle. It felt like the best punt return I've seen from this team in years. And we almost came close, by the way, Nick, to getting a punt block for a touch to win the game, a walk-off punt block, which would have just been so just feel so justifiable after all the times the Giants have lost games because of special teams at the end of the game. To one-time lock box into a special teams win. It didn't happen. I get it. They came close to blocking that punt. Yeah, we got another question or yeah, actually it is a question. Independent outsider. Thank you so much. Thank you. Are the Giants capable of stopping McCaffrey? Could the New York Giants keep the score within a touchdown versus San Francisco without Saquon Barkley? I think anything can happen. Is that likely? Is that probable? Is that what I would bet on? Not necessarily, but anything can happen. Yes, but this is difficult. It's the second week of a back-to-back. You just had a hard fault come from behind emotional win over a team that is perceived as being much inferior to you. Now you're going up against arguably the best team in the NFC. So it's going to be very difficult. Anything can happen. But um, yeah, after what I've seen so far, I'm not encouraged. Uh, thank first of all, again, thank you for the donation and for supporting our show. I think it's a great question because I think given the defensive woes we saw in this game, it's going to be a really difficult task, especially because to my surprise, Nick, Kyle Shannon's playing this a little differently than I expected. If you, I don't know if you saw the numbers from today, but McCaffrey got every single touch. He didn't just give Elijah Mitchell touches. And like, we thought like, oh no, they, you know, it might be a 60, 40, or they might want to even consider saving McCaffrey for the playoffs and trying to keep him healthy. No, no, no. They're going all out. And that sucks for the giants. Cause I'd rather see Elijah Mitchell on the field anytime over Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> and it would be a lot easier for the giants to defend him. And I don't really know what the giants plan is going to be against McCaffrey in this game, considering what he can do as a receiver. It's going to be tough. I still think the giants can potentially compete in this game. If the offense, because, how can you not given what you just saw from the offense? Like that should give you hope that the giants could potentially compete on the offense side of the ball. I know San Fran's defense is really good, obviously, but the Rams were able to find some generate some pass offense today against them for sure. So I don't think it's impossible, but the defensive side of the ball as of now, I don't have as much hope for. Yeah, it's going to be a, a toughie and it's prime time. And I think the giants have what three, Three more primetime games just in the next like five weeks or something ridiculous. You have this Thursday, and then you come back Monday Night Football against Seattle, and then you have the Bills after the Miami game. It's a lot of primetime football. Yeah, it is. All right, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you so much for tuning into the Big Blue Banter Podcast live reaction show. Someone went a little bit over what we said we would do. Um, we're going to try to do it longer when it calls for it, when there's more to talk about. Tonight, there was a lot to talk about, obviously. Here's the plan for the week for those of you who don't know. Offensive and defensive film breakdowns tomorrow and Tuesday. Potentially, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens on that. We obviously have to get through the film first. We want to be fully feel like we have a full grasp of the film and could work through it multiple times before we give you that content. Um, so offensive, defensive film podcast in the next two days. We're going to try to do another preview podcast for the, for the uh, 49ers matchup. Obviously, on a short week, that might be difficult but we're going to see we're going to try to get that in for wednesday um and start looking for some potential guests if you have any guys in mind that you guys like guys or girls shout us out to them as well um you know outside of that have a great rest of your week have a great rest of your night thank you for tuning in on 1 a.m you know that's pretty cool to see how many people at one point were listening we were up to like 400 at one point at 1 a.m which is you know a, a time where my friend texted me like i just had to get my friend jordan shout out jordan he texted me i had to get jordan. out of bed to come listen to you guys can't believe you guys are doing a live show at, at midnight um but you know what people are interested and so shout out to you guys for supporting the show otherwise you know have a great rest of your week and we will talk to you soon